Hello and welcome to a very spooky special episode of That's the Issue, uh, the comic book podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. Uh, my name is Matt Loon and joining me as uh, as my co-host is Mr. Wes Messer. Wes, welcome to the party. Ah, oh, yes, a lovely party. The guy, <laughs> one, of the guys the, one of the few guys on the internet that does not have a spooky name on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you don't, do you? Don't you just have your regular name. I don't, oh, I, I lost my spookiness. I don't, I'm not do you, spooky um, it's it's dark in this Halloween party that we're at. Are you wearing a Halloween costume? And if you if you were wearing a Halloween fancy dress costume right now, what would you be wearing? I don't wear costumes. Oh, do you know? I, I don't. It, okay, me in a costume is sort of like one of those things where I don't have pockets, so I won't have pockets <laughs> for a party. Yeah. So I I, I like my pockets. And you could just go as I like a, I had a Deadpool from the nineties, and you'd have all the pockets you need. Well, no. Here's here's the thing, man. <laughs> when I was when I was like like a younger a younger Wesley one time had a shirt called This is my costume and it was just an orange shirt with like black lettering saying This is my costume, <laughs> and and I was that little I was that little past I was just like I don't like I never really cause I and I never really went trick or treating as a kid because really? okay. I never I never really did trick or treat because I had I always had candy my parents always had candy <laughs> yeah. so I. So it was like so me me with like costume. It's like I never really made a big thing about costume. Like I did costumes like a couple once or twice. I did, and let's see, I did an Ultimate Warrior costume for like some library get together once. I I embraced the power of districticity. Um, uh, let's see, I think I think there's a picture somewhere that my mom has of me dressed up as Raggedy Andy. Raggedy Andy, that's good. Yeah, that that was interesting. Um. Let me see. There's, there's a... Oh, oh. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have someone yes. at the door. <laughs> we have we have someone at the door of our Halloween party. Should we see who it is? Now, I, I should have had, added a, an opening door sound effect here, but you just have to imagine that I'm opening the door. It's a very, it's a silent door. It's just, just and... a sweet home creepy, like, spooky door effect. <laughs> yeah, spooky door. And who is it at the door? Uh, it's me, Nikki. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's our good friend Nikki Sherman. Nikki, how are you this evening? Welcome I'm to the spooky party. Welcome to the party. You might, uh, you might not recognize me in uh, my quail man costume. Uh, wow, it is a stunning costume. <laughs> You've shown us up. You've shown up. Where's is in? He's, uh, is this is this is my Halloween costume orange shirt. Yeah, and I'm dressed as Lockjaw from the Pet Avengers. Um, you might be able to tell by my my dog costume and a tuning fork uh, strapped to my head. <laughs> you, you, you're, well, screw it. Fine, fine. I, I, will, I will magically put on a costume. What will my costume be? There, see, you, you, you know, wish you'd joined us in this magical space now, aren't you? I, 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 will, I will be... I will be costumey. I be costumey. I, I will wear. I will wear a. I will wear a David. I will wear a David Tennant Doctor Who costume because screw it. That that was oh, my. Oh, 
that's step. just that's just too cool now. Now I feel ridiculous dressed like a dog. <laughs> well, you are you are the best part of the Inhumans TV series. <laughs> that is, yeah, it's true. Yeah, where all the money goes anyway. Where all the money goes. <laughs> Nikki, how are you this evening? Uh, doing doing well. Ready to get some spooky on yeah. and uh, celebrate the uh, holiest of holidays. <laughs> <laughs> it is Holy my God. favorite time of the year. <laughs> I like Christmas. Don't get me wrong. I do like Christmas, but there is something um, a bit more fun about Halloween. I don't know if it's just the fact that I do like scaring myself silly with uh, with Halloween like horror films and things like that. You don't get too it, okay. It's well, and also because it's like Halloween. It's like it's mostly its own thing, and then Christmas becomes like this all encompassing like beast of a holiday that devours yeah. all in sight for like three four months in advance yeah exactly like, yeah it I, does I, become I, I a whole thing whereas halloween's quite um you do see a lot of halloween stuff in the in the lead up but then once once it's done it's over like that's kind of it you're you're on to the next thing and and then and then if you like and then if you like watch anything on tv it's like it's like christmas and then it's more christmas and then and then you're watch, and then suddenly it's like you flip channels and then you see hallmark and it's two months of christmas movies endless yeah christmas <laughs> yeah well did we talk about this on the show there's like hallmark make like between 20 and 30 christmas movies every year they make a ridiculous amount of christmas movies every year every year yeah like this year they've got on the slate like but it's all just regular words but just with the word christmas in front of it so like the christmas sweater (laughs) the christmas wish the christmas car and it's like "Mm." What, what, what was i watching i was watching um i was watching this show um there's um, one the show on Hallmark movies and mysteries at uh, Darrow and Darrow because uh, Tom Cavanaugh from The Flash is in it, and and um, it was funny. It's like they like you see commercials and it's like, and prepare for our our holiday celebration for Hallmark and it's like, oh, mother of mercy, <laughs> that's gonna be a lot of Christmas. Yeah, they just pack it full of Christmas. But this <sighs> is that uh, this is not about Christmas. This is about Halloween, and so our. I, I know um, our special, yeah, <laughs> our um, our special show for Halloween uh, this year is going to be um, us. We're going to talk about our favourite spooky comics, our favourite um, kind of Halloweeny style comics. Don't have to be necessarily scary or, hall- or horror, um, but um, but I'm going to throw in some horror comics as well. Um, but what are you guys? Do you guys read horror comics generally? Do you enjoy kind of spooky comics? You go, Nikki. Yeah, I um. I haven't been reading them, uh, keeping up with kind of the current stuff uh, as much as I wish that I had been, but I've been going back and reading uh, some horror series that I had missed uh, kind of before I got back into comics. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that I'll always kind of uh, be more drawn to just because I love horror in pretty much every kind of... uh, uh, medium like uh, uh, video games and movies yeah, and stuff yeah. like that so it, it'll always catch my eye but I've definitely not been reading enough of uh, some pretty uh, well acclaimed horror stuff that seems like it's been coming out uh, lately so I'll have to have to get on that sometime before Halloween in the next uh, <laughs> yeah, just get as much reading done as possible what about you Wes absolutely now, now this is funny like I I've, I, it's funny how sometimes I've, like, horror stuff I've read is more, like, kind of, like, on accident horror stuff more than any of those, like, like, someone was talking about, like, I was reading some article about the Sand, uh, Sandman mm. today, and someone was saying how it's, like, Sandman's is very claimed favorite, but also has a very 
like has some horror elements to it. I'm like, never thought about it before, but yes, Sandman does have some yeah yeah heavy horror elements to it. And and then what was funny, like Nikki, when you mentioned video games, um, I don't, I've been, I've only played hit or miss horror games, but there's one game I actually really need to play because I've watched enough playthroughs on it to, to like to next to oblivion. But there's, have any of you guys heard of the video game Sweet Home? Mm, no, no, I don't know. I have, no. It's an interesting thing. Um, Sweet Home was one of the people that the person that involved in Sweet Home actually went on to make Resident Evil. Oh, cool! So it's um, it's an older game then. And it's it was it was originally released for the Famicom, and it it's one of the game. And put it this way, Sweet Home was for the time period very. It was based off of a of a of a Japanese horror movie. Oh, okay, cool. And and the and the game plays very much like as play as an RPG. And it's a survivor horror RPG before the term survival horror horror really mm. existed. And like your party members when they die, it's permadeath. Oh awesome, okay. You're dead. Okay. And it's and the game actually shows for like NES games they show legit gore. Like when when you see a party member die, you see like their like blood their like bloody body on the back of a freaking of like a freak of like a, on a wall and it's like oh damn and then it's the craziest yeah, yeah. damn thing and so it, it's a very fascinating so for me like when i when i think about like so i've i've watched a lot of horror game playthroughs and i was like i need to play more horror games when because i was actually watching something on the evil within 2 today and i was like that yeah, game looks yeah. cool i want to play that that sounds awesome yeah i feel the, I feel the same when it's um so yeah, I don't when it really comes to those kind of things, like I do read, um, I don't go out of my way and read horror comics for the sake of reading horror comics, but I, I kind of, I'm happy to read anything. And like a lot of the time with, um, with kind of scary comics and stuff, they do tend to, um, kind of bridge the gap with a mainstream audience. Like a lot of like the more mainstream kind of comics out there do tend to be, um, horror comics. Like obviously, Walking Dead is uh, a massive one, and then things like kind of Thirty Days of Night and, mm-hmm. and stuff that kind of make it into movies i suppose you know? yeah there it is and, but, uh, oh oh, oh the, the doorbell's going doorbell. again doorbell. um but excuse me excuse me i'll just have to get the door um so again i, I haven't got an opening door sound effect uh, i'm not that clever but um but who who is it at the door this time who could it be trick or treat ah is it dennis is it dennis camp dennis camp that's right hey ah welcome welcome to the show thank you very much Welcome much. to the Halloween Welcome. party. Now we all, we've all just um, we've all just talked about uh, what Halloween costumes we're wearing. Um, oh, okay. What uh, what Halloween costume are you wearing? I am wearing the costume of an overworked writer. So I will be <laughs> I will be, I will be in my office Fitting. with a, with a, right a beard that's been like a five month beard and hair uh, <laughs> too long hair. And a crazy look in my eyes. That's my. Current, oh wow! That's my current. You've really committed to the role <laughs> oh, as well. You've really committed absolutely. to that look. Absolutely, it's kind of. I mean, it, it could also double as like a survivor in Walking Dead. It's kind of indistinguishable at this point. <laughs> well, oh, welcome man, in. Right. Welcome to the Halloween party. Introduce you to Nikki. Nikki, this is Dennis. Dennis, this is Nikki. Hey, Nikki. Hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> Good. I've heard uh, many great things about you. Uh, too kind. Too kind. I'm sure they're all lies. <laughs> Not, not from us. We haven't yeah, said anything, you know. That's it. Nothing good. Nothing good. So we were just talking about um, horror comics and kind of spooky yeah. comics. Is it something? Um, do you do you read many horror comics or Halloween comics? 
Though I don't, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I don't like, I'm not in th that into horror in general, but when it's done well, I think it's, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, the beauty of horror is, is to me, the, the psychological and philosophical questions that it can bring up and discuss. Um, so I don't, I don't go out of my way to read horror. Uh, it's not one of my favorite genres. I'm not a horror head by any mm -hmm. means, but but I have a few that I really, really love. And I know that I was supposed to mention one, one of my favorites, but I'm going to cheat and mention it. Oh, no, you're more than welcome. Yeah, I think, like, throw throw them all in uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's yeah, fine, well, yeah. In, well, in terms, of, in terms of, like, works, bodies of work, I think my favorite is, my favorite piece of horror is probably From Hell, Alan Moore and Okay, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I love, I mean, I think that's, I think that might be Alan Moore's best work. It certainly is Eddie Campbell's mm. best work for me, and, uh, and I, I mean it's just it's everything that I love about comics. It's it's philosophical, it's formal, it, it you know it's characterful, and it's got all of these tiny little touches. I mean, incredibly researched, and it's got all of these kind of tiny little historical touches that are just ugh. I mean, you just you I can't I can't imagine how much work went into that. Honestly, it's it's an incredible mm. piece. Of it's an incredible piece. A time. Um, in terms of going into single issues though or shorter pieces of work um, I, another shout out to Alan Moore in the anatomy lesson which which helped kicked off his oh that. you got it his, his Swamp Thing run in general is is brilliant I have read that Thank, sorry I have read anatomy okay. lesson uh, his Swamp Thing run that. is a is a brilliant piece of horror that kind of cycles through all the different kinds of genres the different kinds of horror genres that you can do um, and, and goes into sci-fi and all kinds of other things but the Anatomy Lesson as a piece of body horror and psychological horror is just, I, I remember being blown away. And then structurally, uh, as with anything with Alan Moore, structurally it's also just really, really brilliant and represents one of the great reworkings of a character, um, which is a kind of an underrated skill, is, is to take uh, to take a, a lesser known character and, and rework them in a way that not, as, not just is interesting, but kind of begs yeah. other stories after, you know, to create to recreate a character as a story engine, um, and and Alan Moore and, and Steve Bissett and John Tottleben did that yeah, so yeah. wonderfully. Uh, and, and and there's you know the Anatomy Lesson is is a is a piece of it's practically mm. school for a lot of writers. You know, like people people mm -hmm. look at that, they point to that as as a as a piece of structure that you, know, yeah. you got to learn and and try to play with. Um, and then, and then another single issue that I that I really loved. I don't know if I don't know how popular it is or how if people point to it specifically, but I believe it was Sandman Six, which was the Twenty Four okay. Hours. Um, oh wow! And uh, that's where they're in a they're in a diner. Doctor Destiny basically sits in a diner and traps all these people in a diner and and externalizes all their psychological kind of quirks and 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 fears and and foibles. And it's just, it's, it's one of those, it's an issue mm. that completely sticks with you. It's very visceral and, and again, it, it's psychologically really rich and, and very diverse. And for whatever reason, I think I read it when I was very young. Yeah. I, I read it at Barnes and Noble. So <laughs> I stole it, essentially stole it. Well, I stole, stole read it. And yeah. like it, it, Your mom it, it, it. yeah, exactly. Uh, and it stayed with me. It stayed with me for, for years. And I, I keep coming back to it. And I don't think you can really categorize Sandman as a whole 
as horror, but that first arc and that issue in particular, I think. Yeah, is, well, we just we looked, before you came on, we we just mentioned uh, Wes just mentioned Sandman as um, as like not realizing you know that oh great because you know, Wes was saying not not really reading too much horror yeah but it, it is it does have stealth it's horror stealth to horror. it doesn't it and i think yeah. sandman's a, um swamp things a little bit like that as well as in you wouldn't go this is a horror comic even though obviously you had kind of yeah. horror origins you know well they they i mean yeah they called it a horror so it with in regards to both of them sandman or swamp thing was mm. was meant to be kind of a modern horror uh that was explicitly mm. what beset really wanted to do with it um and then and then it went off into other directions because yeah. you know it's part of the superhero universe and and also it just begs sci-fi things but and then sandman had the origins of being horror and in fact those first that first arc up until um the sound of her wings was each one of those was was neil gaiman's diff, a take on a different kind of horror so I, the gothic horror in the beginning and then this was more of a psychological thing and so um so and of course i as you guys say it's, it really changed later right i don't think you can the later issues of sandman were not horror at all uh and and it, that's just how it evolved and and i have a friend who kind of he loved that first arc and was kind of pissed at what or disappointed in what came after because it became something else entirely oh, but, man, yeah um but i mean what's um that's kind of interesting really because i think a lot of you know, we talk about all horror comics and Halloween. Like I was talking about, like Halloween and spooky kind of comics, but there's there's a lot of the time where uh, comics, especially as a as a medium, t- tend to kind of skew yeah. away from that kind of genre, uh, like pigeonholes. Really, they don't and they don't they don't tend sure. to kind of unless they specifically go out of their way to 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 delve into a horror trope like again like walking dead you know it, it's very specific on it Absolutely. you know there are a lot of comics that just end up but, you know like batman's got a lot of kind of gothic horror in some of the in some of the storylines you know yep. absolutely yeah well it's interesting that you say that because i think that walking dead is, yeah. uses ho- a horror trope but is primarily soap opera yeah. right it's a they're using soap opera structures to to make that work and i mm-hmm. and you can do the same with horror i would argue that scott snyder uses a lot of the mechanisms and the techniques of horror in his superhero work and it works for people yeah you know um like you were dennis you were reminding me of something like in swamp thing i i wish i remember the title of the story off the top of my head but when swamp thing goes cuts loose in gotham oh yeah that was a great one that was a great one and and it's sort of like the craziest like horror twinge madness hitting gotham and here's batman having to go through gotham with like every single trick and tool imaginable in this like swamp thing created horror landscape and it is and can you imagine what that was like for readers yeah it was i mean and to have to have that the that artistic team on it too you know steve Bissett and and taliban really Mm -hmm. always sold that i mean alan moore played really did really interesting things with with scale uh in Swamp Thing, in terms of the in the first arc, the if you, mm-hmm. every time you saw the Justice League, all you saw was their feet in the beginning because they were mm-hmm. re- literally living up in the sky, and this was happening. This was all this was happening on Earth, and then kind of you saw this inversion where Swamp Thing had become a kind of god by the time he by the time he took over Gotham, and uh, yeah, and yeah. then and then you had like. And then when uh, just and then initially in Sandman, the Justice League played us a, a little bit of a role here and there. Yeah, like popped up in bits and pieces. Yep, of, in the first of, uh, the first arc especially. The first arc, and then yeah, Justice League, you never saw them again yeah, after. It's like that, 
Yep. That, yeah, I mean, the, for Salmon, it was really, you, one really got the sense that it was, it was Gaiman finding his feet during that first arc. And he kind of, I, I mean, I think that he would, I've heard him say that Sandman didn't really become Sandman until issue eight, mm -hmm. which is the, is the sound of her wings, the, the one where it's just a conversation with death. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, but up until that, it was, it was, I think, distinctly horror and, and really great. I mean, and, and Moore has a, Moore has, Moore especially has a, has a keen interest in horror, it seems to me. He just did, he just finished Providence, yeah. um, which, with Jason Burroughs at Avatar, and that was also br brilliant, uh, a brilliant piece of work, I think, which is like his, his take on the Lovecraftian mythology. Yeah, so there's, um... Talk, talking of like uh, Lovecraft and Neil Gaiman, there is um, his short stories being adapted into a graphic novel for next year, isn't it? Yes. Um, I can't remember the name of the story now. I'm half a telling you half a half a piece of news. Is it is it the one with Gabriel Ba and Fabio I, Moon? I think were adapted. I think it it's someone else? else. I'll have to look it up. But um, it's basically Neil Gaiman's short um, short story, which is kind of Lovecraft and uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, and uh, it was oh, from um, his oh, cool. uh, his anthology uh, Fragile Things. He did. Uh, I remember he did. There, they did an adaptation of, or or I don't know if it was originally a comic or a short story. Only the end of the world again, which also was a take on kind of a bunch of horror tropes. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, it's a, right. a study in emerald. A study in emerald. It's called a study in emerald. I saw. Yeah. I and and um, okay. I think um, see if there's anything for it because it was only announced the other day. But uh, I was very interested in it because I remember um, getting that. Um, dark horse. Yeah, yeah, it'd be dark horse. Uh, and I think um, like Raphael Albuquerque, Raphael Scavone, Dave Stewart. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. yeah. Adapt, adapt. I think I got oh wow! It, it was, it was October third. It was announced. It was announced on my birthday. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Let's see. It was. I was saying, yeah, studying yeah. Emerald. It was. Yep, you had it. Raphael Albuquerque. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so that should be quite good as a graphic novel because it's only a short story anyway. So I think they could adapt the whole thing into into quite a good book. But um, but yeah. Um, so like I I like the idea of horror comics. Whenever I whenever I see one on the shelves, I think, oh, that that looks really cool. And there's 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 definitely some you know I I do love mm. kind of horror as a genre. Um, and so I think there are some horror comics out there that I, I do really dig but it's also tricky because it's it's a very difficult mm. um genre to kind of portray in comics i fully agree um, yeah it, it's it's it takes a lot of a uh, lot of kind of skill to to even come close to kind of getting the the same kind of um scares or you know especially you things like in modern horror like jump scares yes. and stuff like you don't really get yeah. that as much like, in in kind of comics you absolutely cannot yeah. get those things i don't think right like mm -hmm. well i i think you can i think it just uh there's been a couple comics that i've seen that have achieved that uh kind of jump scare quality because i think oh, you know what's what's scarier than the jump scare itself usually is the anticipation mm. of mm. Uh, the jump scare happening um and i think uh there's been one comic in particular that I think really nailed it, and it was an issue of Nailbiter uh, by Joshua Williamson, where he did this trick with, um, uh, I think Mike Henderson was on art, where they basically played with the lighting, and so the lights would flicker on and oh, off I remember each that, panel. yes. So it would go, yeah, and it was really great, because you would see, as the lights turned off, you would see a shadow kind of approaching closer. And it, cool. uh, each time it turned off, the person got closer. And it was, it kind of achieved, it was the only time that I think I've actually seen like that anticipation, but uh, uh, played out because 
but it was it was so perfect and uh i i have to imagine there's other things out there that have done something mm. similar but um that was one of the moments where i felt like maybe comics can yeah. actually do this because it is difficult because i mean when you're watching like a horror movie or something i mean so much of what i think makes something scary is is the whole package of the sound um uh, oh. the lighting um the you know uh just, just all the visual cues that is, is achieved by uh, mm. constant motion right and uh so yeah it, it certainly is difficult in comics but i you know it seems it's possible at the very yeah. least i think i think the fundamental difference is that or i mean and i i believe you that it works and and like clearly there's a lot of a lot of writers who make it work scott snyder has built his 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 whole career on on horror uh, so there must be something there uh, but like the difference, yeah, the difference to me is that the between film and comics is that in comics, the reader has control over the pace, the pace mm. that everything happens. And in film, the you, you've given up that control. And so you you are just kind of along for the ride. And so things can come at you really quickly, completely unexpectedly. Whereas in comics, you're making the decision, even as you go to turn the page, you're making the decision yeah. to turn the page. So that loss of control is kind of scary, I think, or it's disorienting yeah, at the very least. Yeah. And you don't get that. And I, I was going to say, like, the, well, so yeah, the, yeah, the, only, the, the yeah. only kind of the nearest example I could see to like a jump scare, for example, would be the page turn, because that's the only element of a comic that, yeah. that is unpredictable, isn't it, really? Um, I read um, Dustin Weaver's Packless anthology series that's coming out i i I absolutely love it and i think the the first issue has got like the very first story in the first issue which um is is a very kind of body horror kind of um like um story um about uh, a man that envisions his his life is a lie and that he's actually he he and everyone that surrounds him is actually giant kind of cockroaches that story was freaky yeah, yeah. It was freaky, and I remember like reading it like late at night, and the page turn like after the first or second page is is just this full frontal like kind of pro like um, portrait of a bug, and it's like a cockroach's face like right there in front of you, and it's uh, the the page turn did like kind of. Uh, like shock me did kind of like make my heart jump because i remember reading it and i was not expecting it and it's like bugs don't particularly freak me out but especially you know if you if you're seeing one that big you know and that, that's obviously the point you know it's kind of a it's almost a human head sized um bug face like facing you you know um and so i think like you know jump scares like that can work and as you say nikki that was that was all on like one or two pages wasn't it so like you know you could go down the page and read and read these kind of widescreen panels like the lights flickering on and off in in nailbiter but um but it it did feel like it was actually controlling it i think maybe if i remember rightly like the um bless you i remember the um like if i remember rightly that that scene was like a quite an in-depth conversation between two characters so like the the kind of the the speech bubble slowed you down because you had to you had to read the story that was happening between these two characters so i felt like that kind of controlled the pacing as well a little bit right right yeah and i think there's an additional totally like i don't want to say barrier but difference between a movie jump scare and like a, a comic equivalent is that in a movie like with the jump scare you know you get like the high pitch of like a violin uptick or something like that and what you see doesn't mm. actually have to be visually disturbing for it to qualify as something that scares you like you could flash a normal human face in front of a camera and if it's just unexpected it might make you jump but in comics if you turn the page and you're just seeing something that's not 
like at its face value disturbing it's it's not going to freak you out you know i think mm -hmm. from what it sounds like what you're talking about is you know when you see a, a, a cockroach person you know on yeah. the next page like that is disturbing in and of itself yeah and if it wasn't that then you know it may not achieve the same kind of thing so you know comics you know visually it, it seems like it has to be something that would make you go oh god you know in a way uh yeah rather than just being something normal that uh because of the conditions surrounding it is scary i guess yeah and and show you something uh graphic in a way right. that potentially would you know look you know quote unquote look more realistic in a comic than it would be on on the screen because i suppose on the screen they have you know real people so when they show horror it has to it has to be realistic either cgi or or you know uh, physical effects whereas in a comic you you buy into that world don't you really so you buy into the kind of the imagery and the style of it so i think you know the build up is is more important almost in comics because you know you have to you have to sometimes some of the you know the worst kind of the scary parts of horror and, and again you know not to keep not to keep leaning on walking dead you know but it is you know it is quite a popular example you know they they do that build up by by months and years almost with some characters so then when they get bitten or something horrible happens to them that in itself is the horror like it's not the actual physical jump moment is it is the fact right. that something okay. something awful and truly kind of horrific is happening to a character that you've you've grown to know and love i suppose yeah it I, ever and also another movie is a very interesting way that's that's been adapted into multiple mediums um like battle royale mm. okay and yeah because when i first i yeah. remember because when i never read the novel first but i read but i got to read the um but i saw the movie first and and when i saw the movie the first time it's sort of like they it kind of like it almost eases you into it they, they kind of tell you this world is very is is freaky just to let you know, this yeah. world's going gonna trip you up. And then, like the first scene is, and like the first part of the movie is suddenly you see Beat Takeshi going throwing throwing a dagger at a kid. You're like, fuck, <laughs> and like you're just like, like that. That was like one of the few times I have ever been like mixture of disturbed and a jump scare. Like, fuck, what the hell am I in for this movie? Because, and it's just sort of like it just goes doesn't even ease you into it it's like it's jump scare and then it just freaks you out because that was before i knew the term jump scare yeah i actually first time i saw it i was like what the hell was that and and then it just goes from there well, did you um did you read the like the manga or anything like that as well I, I read the manga here's the weird thing the manga it's a really cool looking manga but i think it's just like it doesn't really get it gets disturbing but it's more violent than, than, than general horror, but they're also very and but it's like good luck ever fighting the manga anymore because it's horribly out of print. Right. But it's but it's like the novel's still very much but and the novel and I've read some of the novel. The novel works a little bit differently. It's very much very detailed and it has a different way of telling the story because horror works differently in every single format that you're dealing with. So well, that was the, yeah, that was like the, that was the interesting thing about Battle Royale because it has had multiple different adaptations had like books and manga multiple and... translations yeah. i didn't know that yeah yeah it's it was originally a novel and then oh. i tried to watch there's also a really weird battle royale sequel that was made that was made for the movies exclusively mm. and don't i tried to watch it don't try to watch yeah. it it's bad but it's it's a, i lasted like 15 minutes before i said 
well, f this. And uh, and but the but the first movie that adapted novel, it's very. If you guys have never seen, I'm trying not to say too, but Battle Royale is really well worth watching at least once. As like, and you think would you would not? It's it's a movie you probably think that's a horror. That's a horror movie. Yeah. It, it's messy. It's messy. It's brutal. It it jump scares you. It throws you into a land of discomfort so fast, and and it does not let up the entire way through until until not until right near the end, and you're just like, damn this movie. <laughs> and because and I've and I've seen it like I've actually seen it like a couple times. Like I first time I saw it was back for that. Back in way yonder days, on freaking when I downloaded off freaking Kaza, <laughs> <laughs> and but back, so yeah, that's how I saw it the first time around was a fan sub I found <laughs> off Kaza. Yeah, I remember and, the movie. I remember the movie and, being good, like the the Beat Takeshi movie. Yeah, I've not read good. any of the. It's very well done. I've not read any of the manga, or I've not read the book. I read some of the manga, and like I said, but the book I. I actually have like two translations of the book. I have like they they've done like three translations of it. Hmm. There's like like they made like one translation, then they did another translation. Now there's like another translation they released recently that that was when uh this is doing their Haikasoru um uh to their their brand. They've done like three different translations of it out there and I'm like there's three how are there three translations of Battle Royale? <laughs> Holy crap! Well, like, um, you, you, so yeah, that yeah, that I mean, that does like, um, <laughs> that, that does lead nicely into um, into one of my wrecks actually because um, I mentioned it on last week's show um, when I was um, talking to uh, Rhino Sullivan and Plaid Klaus, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he uh, Rhino Sullivan had written for uh, Panel by Panel recently. He'd written about uh, Junji Ito. Uh, Junji Ito's uh, manga um, yes. and like like kind of the master of the horror manga basically um, and I read that um, read that recommendation and I kind of uh, dove into um, Uzumaki and I read that and um, I read that all in one sitting and I, as I said last week I read it while we were uh, those like um, we went my, me and my wife went on holiday and uh, just to kind of Wales and we went at a time where we thought oh, it would be nice and sunny but it was actually um, there was a hurricane in Ireland and um, oh, yeah and we got the tail end of it good god yeah and and so we were kind of stuck in this not stuck but we kind of halt like kind of hunkered down in this cottage and let the storm happen around us and I thought I thought this was a perfect time to read Uzumaki and um, <laughs> realised it was actually too perfect because a lot of it is to do with kind of um, to do with a storm and to do with like kind of wind howling outside and things like that but um, it's on my list it's on my list I've heard only great Uzumaki's freaky yeah it is I've heard only great things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant, and it just kind of attacks like it attacks the concept of like there's such a like a, like Junji Ito does in a lot of his work. I've not read too much else, but he starts with a ridiculous, silly, throwaway concept that like because I I said to my wife I was like I've just read a horrible freaky book and she was like don't tell me and I was like I can tell you I can tell you that it's all about people that get obsessed with spirals and like she was like that sounds that sounds ridiculous I was like yeah I know and I think that's what leads you in doesn't it yeah so much of Japanese horror is is like that and uh it's just these these ideas that you just I don't I don't see it so much in like western horror but uh just these things that are mundane um that we would think of as mundane that all of a sudden turn horrific 
and uh, and mm. it's just so fascinating. Like, I mean, I've read uh, I've read Uzumaki and uh, Gyo and uh, Genji Ito's Dissolving Classroom, uh, and uh, it's just all so. They're just things that you don't think of as typically horrifying, but between his uh, really masterful illustrations and his uh, creepy, twisted ideas, like it is, it is some of the most unsettling stuff I think I've ever read. Yeah, and talking about like pacing, I think manga's got a much better um, ability mm-hmm. to kind of control its pacing than than a lot of Western comics mm-hmm. because I think it's so it's obviously got, yeah it's got more space, it's got more room, it's uh, it's allowed to it you know it's given that breathing room to to kind of really build those moments really rather than yeah. you know having to kind of sweep through scenes. It kind of can can really dive into the minutiae of of like you know sweat pouring down the back of a guy's neck or you know or like someone you know staring obsessed obsessively at a spiral on a wall you know they can just kind of zoom in for pages and pages of this just guy looking freakily at this pattern especially since and i think and that's and that's interesting about how it's like the manga storytelling device is a complete and manga storytelling is a completely different beast than like they'll like they'll spend like that extra time on showing you like the sweat beating down mm. yeah they're staring intensely at that spiral and then and then once they get to the payoff you're like like damn <laughs> what the heck did i just get thrown in and you're not ready for it they you are never ready because that that's sort of like Japanese manga comes the closest to kind of like manga comes the closest to kind of hitting that disturbing and also it could jump scare you like if you're because yeah it, it's kind of like build up build up and then and then you're like hmm, yeah and you're like, oh and, and it because it helps that it's writer artists too because he really I mean I think that it allows you to let the image speak more than the words and that's just a it, the striking image is 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 more impactful and scary, I think, than than yeah. talking. Would be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that kind of um, that's you've either got to have a really close kind of symbiotic relationship with between the writer and the artist, or you've got to have one yeah. one creator with one vision to to kind of to pull that kind of thing off, really. And, and I think it's also like the fact that Japanese that there's that since and they really do go for it because like. We have like we're just starting like we have like we've had like genres in comics over the years, but in like Japan, their genres they've been they've been embracing their genres for years. Sure. Yeah, like food yeah. genre and sports and like stuff. Food, yeah, food mm-hmm. genre totally. and sports genre, and then in the sports genre you have baseball manga, soccer manga, and then and then in horror manga there's like subgenres for horror mm-hmm. manga, and. Well, I'm pretty sure if I pitch to an artist or a, or a uh, company, hey, this is a horror story about people who get obsessed with spirals, I would get <laughs> laughed out of the office, right? I would, nobody, no one would be willing to, to yeah. draw that because what, what am I even talking about? And definitely nobody would be willing to publish it. And so, yeah, I mean, mm. I, I love that. That's, I haven't read it, but I love, I love the concept of it and how weird and, and kind of meticulous and, and detailed yeah. they must be yeah and that work. there's a movie is there a movie there's a movie there's a movie oh, i didn't movie. know that <laughs> oh i'm gonna have to I'm gonna have yeah, to look that up now i can't I even imagine know. some of the imagery that's in that series i can't yeah. even imagine seeing it on the screen yeah. anyway guys it's been a pleasure but i gotta head out thanks so much for having me 
Cool. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thank you very much. Talk soon. Yeah. yeah great pleasure. Nice, nice meeting chat. you. Guys. Nice meeting you, Nikki. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. Good to meet you. Thanks, Dennis. Speak soon. Talk soon. Latest, Dennis. Bye. Yeah. I was, uh, I was gonna say uh, for Uzumaki, uh, two things. One is uh, Junji Ito has a book called uh, Junji Ito's Cat Diary. Right. And I heard about it sounds that. innocuous. Uh, but it is uh, hilarious, first of all, and also has some pretty creepy moments in it as well. So uh, I think, um, you know, definitely give that a read. It's super quick. It's, it's uh, shoot, I don't know, like 40 to 80 pages, somewhere in that range. Uh, it's pretty short, but it's, it's, it's really great. That's cool. And uh, second is um, I, I think Japanese horror has a lot, I think, to teach us because uh, – so much of, of the horror uh, in, in Japan and, and, and Korean horror as well uh, is really just kind of entangled in the lore, the folklore um, of the culture um, and just a, kind of a very unique perspective from uh, Japanese culture in particular. Um, but there's a really great uh, anthology uh, anime show, uh, very, very short episodes. They're probably about four to eight minutes or so in length. Mm. It's called Yamishibai. <clears throat> And uh, it's basically mm-hmm. like a short story. It's 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 almost like a motion comic in a sense because uh, it's it's not fully animated. It's kind of like taking pictures and moving small parts of it, uh, like kind of moving people uh, very slowly through a landscape. Yes, yeah. Um, but they're all horror stories, and it's it's great. So just as kind of a a quick tie into that, um, uh, definitely some really cool ideas there of things that. Uh, where where's Nikki, if you don't mind me asking, uh, where is that? Um, where can you find that? Uh, watch it or something. Crunchyroll actually, I think has all of them Sweet. on Crunchyroll. If you don't mind the ads, it's uh, awesome. It's all on Sweet. there. I so. think I've seen one of those on online somewhere. They, there was like one that did the rounds a little while ago because I know there was like a Junji Ito story that did the rounds on Reddit for a little while. Um, but I think there was one of those as well about like a a guy walking home from work and then he sees this kind of ghostly woman in front of him, um, and it's it's um, it's designed for like scrolling on the on your on your web page um, and so you kind of you okay. scroll down the screen but like there's a moment where near the end there's 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 um panels and panels and panels that are exactly the same and so you know talking about pacing you find yourself scrolling faster to get to the to get to something happening and as you scroll faster this this girl suddenly jumps at you and she kind of jumps through the panel so the panel all along the panels all along have been kind of you know three quarters the size of your screen and um and then all of a sudden she when she comes out she fills your whole screen um and that's like a really kind of clever clever way of of um of kind of doing a jump scare in a a comic you know and it was and i think it it's a similar yeah. kind of i think it's exactly the same technique as what you just described but maybe someone kind of took that style and, and adapted it to to like a scrollable kind of um page yeah yeah because when, when i say it's like a motion comic it's it's really more of like just kind of a i guess cheaper way to animate um like this it's not like necessarily like in panels or anything mm. like that but it's just um really limited in its motion uh uh, and uh, you know, it, it seems like it's hand drawn still, but uh, just uh, more limited in kind of its range of, of motion throughout it and action throughout it. But but very creepy. Some of those episodes they they really stick yeah. with you, and uh, it's good Halloween stuff. I I want to get back into this a second because as like when you're talking about like Jap like um because it's funny when I was thinking about talking a little bit about Sweet Home earlier. There's if you look up Sweet Home, either of you mm. guys look up Sweet Home later, you're going to stumble upon a scene. And 
it's it's from it's actually I've actually have seen bits of, bits of the sweet I've never seen the whole Sweet Home movie but I've seen bits of it because I've actually because I find the game absolutely fascinating I never actually like I said, I never played it but I'm fascinated by it because it's like survival horror on freaking Famicom <laughs> yeah. slash Nintendo and and it's a lot of gore and and then and then there's a scene where there's a character that that um gets melted down into a skeleton in the midst of a Nintendo game. Wow. <laughs> like, you see a dude, like, get, like, immo- like straight up melted into, like, with, like, patches of blood dripping off of him. And <laughs> I'm going to have to give this a go at some point, yeah. see if I can find, like, an emulator of it or something. And then you can, and then if you find, and then, the, and then you can find, like, the, the bit, the video from their Sweet Home, like, movie, and show like a comparison from that to the to the Nintendo, and you're like, "Oh, that's freaky." Because <laughs> it's and it's one of the things where you're like, "I'm seeing a guy melting, and blood, heavy amounts of blood, on Nintendo." Yeah. Eight bit. I can imagine that on like uh, Sega Genesis or something, but uh, Nintendo. I'm just kind of I'm looking for Mario when I'm on uh, Nintendo. Exactly. Or well, there were some very like like Nintendo. It's one of the things where Sweet Home is one of those things where someone said, and someone was like, "So Sweet Home, why does it ever make American Shores?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nintendo of the Nintendo of the. 80s and 90s would never let that fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Nintendo didn't accept violence until until freaking Mortal Kombat 2. Mm. And and for, so pretty much by so pretty much it wasn't for it was a long time before Nintendo even got to the point where they were even comfortable. So Sweet Home dealing with like half the weird crap Sweet Home deals with and cuz the, the story of it is is just these people going to a mansion and they have to save these fresca and into the into this mansion of like Lady Mamiya, and they're saving these frescoes and they're taking pictures and, and it's like this sort of like becomes this just general, like pleasant, like like talking shit, looking at the, these uh, frescoes and that, and then it becomes a full blown horror, brutal, like bloodbath in there, <laughs> yeah. and it becomes so you're just like, dang, so we don't mess us. I remember because the first time I ever saw like a playthrough of it, I was like, it actually creeped me out. Like the music's very creepy for Nintendo, and so it was like it's different. So it definitely was one of those first like horror moments where I was like, Dang. and then you real, and then you realize that Resident Evil came from the person who made Sweet Home. You're like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So much, yeah, yeah I, that I'm makes very sense. Like, go that. hunt down Sweet Home later. <laughs> I'll have to give that a look. Go yeah. hunt down Sweet Home later and get an idea of how horror would work on like my favorite playthroughs that I watch. Um, Pro Jared just did one, just did one recently, mm. but um, there's one that uh, Scott Stop Skeletons from Fighting did, that he did he did a review of it, but he also did a playthrough on his uh, on his uh, Twitch stream once, and it's a really cool playthrough because you're just like he dives into like his history of the game, what he played, how he played it, and then he talks about, and then you're just watching the game and how he's like strategizing yeah. through, and it's a pretty cool little playthrough. So, cool. but yeah, but if you just want to see the scene that. I talked about personally just look up sweet home like like skeleton or something you will find the yeah yeah scene <laughs> just type in that sweet so home scene that, and someone will uh, have brought it up you yeah. find it but yeah it's worth it's worth checking out because it definitely gives you a different flavor of like how horror 
how horror elements would work on a Nintendo. Like, uh, oh, and, ooh, oh, did you guys hear that door? The uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the the door's <laughs> ringing again. Let's uh, let's have Part a listen. It's getting louder. <laughs> it's getting, yeah, it's getting uh, it's getting crazy in here. <laughs> People coming and going. Okay, let's uh, let's have a listen. See who it is at the door. Hey, trick or treat. Um, I'm Paul, and I'm the host of the Comic Syllabus podcast. Uh, also contributor occasionally at multiversitycomics.com and um, also sometimes a co-host at the Comics Alternative podcast. Um, what's up? <laughs> Matt uh, wrote to me and asked if I wanted to throw in um, some treats of a, a favorite Halloween or horror or spooky comic. And I'm happy here today to talk about the work of Richard Sala. Uh, Richard Sala is a cartoonist who's been working in the, in the industry for a really long time. And um, I guess the best way I'd describe his work um, in comics like Delphine or um, he's got a book called Mad Night. Uh, another one that's called, um, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, Peculia. Um, if those uh, names are any hint of what uh, Richard Sala's work is like. But if you could imagine Charles Adams, you know, he of the Adams family, uh, uh, that, that style of art, but drawn in a... Um, in, in a sequential narrative and in a way that is as fun uh, and as, you know, sort of the lighter side of the spooky stuff. Um, then you have Richard Sala. Um, he likes to do, uh, you know, sometimes they're more sort of on the adventure end of the spectrum and sometimes they're more on the horror end of the spectrum. Nothing that's going to give you um, active nightmares, more of the playful, whimsical way of looking at the ideas of monsters and ghosts and goblins and uh, killers and all that kind of stuff. Um, Peculia, for example, features uh, 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 stories of a, of a strange girl who is um, uh, encountering all kinds of zombies and witches and, and all evil kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, she, uh, she's the kind of classic heroine that you might find in a pulp uh, adventure story. Um, and Richard Sala draws her with this kind of sensibility and, and, and the book... Um, that she p appears in Peculia, she also appears in uh, another book, Evil Eye, um, has a kind of Charles Burnish, Charles Burns-ish black and white style. Um, in other other comics, he um, adds touches of color, um, but retains that sense of creepy. And um, yeah, and it's always kind of a fun kind of creepy. And I gotta admit, I'm not a huge Halloween guy, not a huge horror fan. Um, there's a few comics that are in my all-time annals of great Halloween comics. Uh, I'm sorry, great horror comics, things like um, uh, Lock and Key uh, is a favorite of mine. Uh, History of Violence creeped me out uh, <laughs> to no end. And, uh, you know, Harrow County is a current ongoing thing that's really good. I love um, Rachel Rising. Um, but I think the tone of Halloween that I enjoy the most is the one that um, just plays with some of the lightness of our obsessions with darkness. And I think Richard Sala's work does that uh, wonderfully well. So. Uh, encourage you to check out Richard Sala and Mad Knight and um, most uh, Delphine uh, Violencia and In a Glass In a Glass Grotesquely is another title of, of, of his work that I have. Um, lots of fun stuff, so check that out. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I uh, hope you all have a safe and fun Halloween. Take care. Cool. Okay, so thanks thanks for that, Paul. Um, That's a really good recommendation. I don't know if you, any of you guys have heard of Richard Sala. Uh, no, I, I the name sounds familiar, but not familiar with uh, his body of work. Mm. Me neither. I, I actually went. I actually went. Uh, I actually looked look to see if my library had any Richard Sala in stock, and I was like, 
like anywhere else. I'm like, they had Delphine, but it wasn't due back until November 5th. I was like, ah, they've got it over Halloween. Typical. Like, damn. <laughs> but he did, um, <laughs> but like Paul, um, you know, I've got a lot of, um, got a lot of respect for Paul. He's got, uh, he's got an immense talent when it comes to, um, you know, comics criticism, uh, especially. Um, but, um, Richard Sala is definitely something I'm gonna I'm gonna check out. I was having a look at some of the images uh, of his work on Google there uh, while uh, while Paul was uh, was talking about it. Um, but he also mentioned a good couple of other comics on there as well. Like um, I know Rachel Rising is a favourite of yours, Nikki. Yeah, and it's a favourite that I am not quite done with yet. But uh, it's I, I basically got um, the uh, big fat omnibus collection of it because it's been recommended Ooh. to me so many times and. I just uh, finished reading like the recent issue of Motor Girl at the time, and that book is, is so good. And uh, it's a, by, it was my first thing by Terry Moore, and so I said I I need more Terry Moore, and uh, this is a horror book, uh, which should be up my alley, and uh, so I went and bought that, and I'm about halfway through it or so probably, and it is, uh, yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. It's it's uh, some really really great horror, and um, the kind of horror that is not. Uh, super grotesque um in its presentation but so hauntingly spooky um mm. and just uh very very psychologically um compelling i think so yeah it's it's great yeah like i i love um i i also love uh, rachel rise and i've not read that much of it i've read the first um kind of trade volume of it um and um absolutely loved it but it was definitely one of those ones that i kind of thought I, I want to sit down and I want to get lost in this um, a little bit and so um, I didn't I haven't picked up the the omnibus volume but I, I absolutely kind of wanted to for no other reason than I just love omnibuses on my shelf uh, or omnibuy <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but yeah that's uh, that looks like a, a fantastic series to kind of dive into um, how close yeah, are you to the end uh, I am probably about 500 pages in. Oh wow! Okay. And I think it's uh probably somewhere around like 850 or so. Mm. So it's uh getting there, getting yeah, there, getting and uh, it's it. definitely I think I'm past the like first big thing. So I think like the first uh big uh I don't want to say like enemy, but um mm. I, I think that they've had to overcome a problem that they've had to overcome has kind of been solved. Um to an extent so yeah. it's kind of moving into its uh, second big thing awesome. I was actually, that's really cool it's fascinating though it's awesome it's, i mean the terry moore art is just so uh, it's so good like there's so much snow in this yeah and he just draws like every single piece of snow <laughs> to the point where it almost feels claustrophobic while you're reading wow and uh it's just it's so good <laughs> yeah I, it was funny i was actually looking it up to see like the uh i thought it looks i was looking at like uh amazon and that has like looks like the omnibus out of print but ah but i know that it was quite a short but run. but wait there's more but it is on sale on comicsology <laughs> right now ah, awesome. So, ah, awesome oh nice like on a comicsology sale yeah. that's cool so uh, so yeah you can so you can go so if, you, if you're curious out there and if this get i think it's the, the sale goes until when's the sale end it's because I'm not kind of we're not going to put this out just by no I know it'll probably last until at least like until like Halloween like Halloween or something like that. But I just happened past Halloween. But I just happened to notice and I'm like it's on sale. It ends. That's awesome. That's November cool. 2nd. Well, there we go. Yeah. So. Yeah, ah, okay, cool. That's good. Well, this will. Yeah, if you if you're listening to this, you probably it's probably uh, it's hopefully going to be. Uh, 
October 30th or 31st. So, uh, so yeah, you've got plenty of time to catch up on it. Well, I mean, Paul mentioned like another comic, the one who's going to be one of my recommendations, which is uh, Lock and Key. Don't need to read that. Um, yeah, I I wrote an article for it that um, that went live uh, on Multiversity today as uh, as we record this. Um, so it'll be a couple of days ago for you listening. But um, I I love Lock and Key. Um, I only read it. Um, recently i think in the last kind of 18 months or so um and i read uh all um six volumes i think there is and um as soon as i finished reading it i kind of turned back around and and started reading it from the beginning again um and that's the the only time i've ever read uh, a comic series like all the way through twice like straight after itself <laughs> but it, it does it does lend itself to that there's a lot of it's it's very well plotted very well planned it's um joe hill um who's um you know a kind of a prolific kind of horror author in his own right and um he uh, produced this series with gabriel rodriguez and um there's um there are hints and clues in the artwork in issue one issue two that don't pay off until like the final few issues so everything's plotted everything's planned out it, all, it is all very deliberate um but um but yeah it's it's a really quite it's one of those ones that we i don't I never thought of really as a horror, um, even though the first volume is called Welcome to Lovecraft, and they live in a town called Lovecraft, Massachusetts, which is um, which is fun. But um, but yeah, it it has kind of horror elements, it has supernatural elements. It's about um, you know uh, I don't know if uh, I know you haven't read it. Wes, have you read it, Nikki? Uh, I have read probably everything except for the last two issues. <laughs> right, okay. I read it so long ago that I think I need to actually go back and read it before finishing it. Uh, yeah, it, so. <laughs> I think it's it's definitely worth it. Yeah, definitely worth going back to it. And it, yeah, it's it's you know it's it's about this kind of family that goes through a horrific tragedy, um, and you know as a result of that they move to um, they move to an old family home. Um, and this old family home has got, uh, you know, it's it's called Key House, uh, and there's loads of kind of hidden rooms and and secrets and things like that. But um, they're all too busy grieving um, that they don't really notice. And it takes like the youngest son, um, Bode, who's you know eight or ten, um, to actually um, to start finding these secret keys that are hidden around. And when you when you open a door with one of these keys, something magical, supernatural. Um, happens um, and it starts off quite um, you know quite small but then it, it, it gradually evolves and expands but it kind of takes the the concept of what these keys do and and drives all of their skills to their kind of logical extreme um, so you know the it kind of explores the concepts like in a lot of in a lot of magical stuff like Harry Potter and stuff they, they introduce these elements that you you know you think well if they can if they can turn back time with this with this one device why have they not been doing that every time you know why have they not been using that more often um but with with lock and key they have um you know and uh, they have these keys where you know can can cheat death can can change your gender can can change your skin color can um can make you uh, tall can can control uh, shadows and things and um and they and they take these all of these things to their kind of logical conclusion of what would happen if someone with the wrong intentions got hold of them um so it's a really really exciting series really really fascinating series and um i generally like genuinely couldn't put it down um it was really um really interesting book 
Yeah, I agree completely. I um, It was one of the comics that, when I was uh, getting into them again, uh, was the first series that I picked up and read uh, that many issues of, hmm. um, because it had so much out at the time. I think it just had maybe like one, uh, one arc left in it uh, by the time I got to it. And... Um, I picked it up because it was horror, actually. So it's funny that ah. you say that, like you, you know, you didn't originally uh, think of it as that, but uh, I think it had been recommended to me as a horror-esque book, and ah, cool. uh, or at least it had horror elements in it. So I was like, yeah, this sounds, this sounds great. And uh, you know, with Joe Hill and uh, his credentials um, and uh, his, his family mm-hmm. history, it, uh, mm. you know, it seemed like a, a, a good thing to go by. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like I, I think um, the you know the imagery on, especially on the covers and on the trades, which you know the trades, which I imagine you you know you had access to, kind of thing. Or that was mm-hmm. that was the primary way you were you were experiencing it, like on the shelves. Like they have um, mm-hmm. they have got a very kind of horror uh, aspect to them. You know, like they they focus on these keys and and the, the Welcome to Lovecraft one is kind of the the cover to the trade is steeped in like black and red and has this you know foreboding house in the background and then this key this black key at the front with a skull on it so you know it is quite um it is quite horror i think it's uh, it's more likely that i kind of um i didn't really understand <laughs> what um what i was getting into <laughs> when i picked it up rather than it wasn't kind of blatantly horror from the get-go right but, but i mean i think that's the thing about horror that we've kind of touched on a little bit is that it's so like non or undefined Mm. i think i think it means something different to everybody i mean i think there's things that people point to and and they think of yes that's horror and that tends to be like slasher films and Mm. like you know haunted house films like those are those are horror to people but i think that there's so much about horror that uh you know it it it, it really depends Mm -hmm. it's such a it's such a personal definition i think yeah and so um i mean i I think that it's kind of why like recent someone can point to something and say yes that that's horror and someone else might be like oh i didn't even think of that as horror so yeah yeah definitely and i think it's um and it, it it's good that some some series pick up on you know like like horror films and and horror tv shows and things like that like horror does um depend on what you find horrific and some films yeah, like it for example obviously plays on a, a phobia of clowns yeah yeah and it's like mm-hmm. i don't particularly find clowns that scary um but obviously i would find it scary because it's it's a scary movie but i think um someone who has a phobia of clowns would go into that probably wouldn't go into that movie to begin with but um if they if they did go into that movie they'd go in with a with a heightened anxiety that i i wouldn't have so i think it all kind of it depends on what your what your fears are and what um, what it plays into yeah yeah absolutely I mean, i've been um since mid-september trying to watch like a horror movie a day um you know even hmm. if it's just on in the background while i'm doing some uh doing some work uh and uh you know i think um the most prevalent kind of movie that i've been watching on this list has been uh shark movies surprisingly <laughs> and okay. I, don't, I don't know that a lot of people would consider those horror movies but to me uh <laughs> Like, I, I hate open water. Like, I, I hate the idea of not knowing what's beneath your feet. And mm-hmm. so these movies just absolutely terrify me. And so when I watch them, you know, and I put them on this list that I've been kind of curating on, on Twitter with, like, my impressions of them all, um, you know, I just, 
you know, I'm just waiting for someone to be like, that's not horror. Like, this is like an action movie or like a thriller or something <laughs> like that. Like, no, I don't know about that. Do you get inside my head and like, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you how riveting and scary this is. <laughs> like, Look, Finding Nemo is a scary film, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's funny because it, when you deal with movies, it's like, like you have people that, like I, like it was funny when you were talking about it recently and because everyone's trying to do some sort of like horror something in whatever like you have like like i i i'm one of my particular things is i do follow i do follow professional wrestling and one thing something that we tried in like the early 90s is an evil clown character <laughs> right right called doink doink the evil clown <laughs> and and that is that and what it was it's it's like the craziest character because they were having like Doink pull off these like crazy tricks and and being like this really creepy clown and and it was like one of the things where initially it was really cool and really freaky and then they tried to make like Doink more of a general like fun loving clown and it didn't quite work the way they wanted but the initial aspect of Doink being this like scary creepy clown yeah is yeah because because especially if you have a fear of clowns, it's like, it's like if you're you're just like, but yeah, there's an evil clown character that that exists in wrestling. And I mean, they're on the back foot by calling him Doink because that just yeah. makes me laugh. It's but like the funniest way. I can't get over that. Doink the evil clown. Brilliant. He was played by he was oh, played by Doink the evil clown. He was played by a guy named uh, Matt Bourne, and he and he actually was played by Matt Bourne like. He was played by four different people at one point, and but <laughs> he's everywhere. Con- <laughs> but the initial oh God, Doink was a scary evil clown that got changed over time, and then, and then they introduced like a midget, like a like a dwarf evil clown named Dink. And oh God, this is so <laughs> this is so eighties <laughs> wrestling. This is isn't it? I know. <laughs> Early nineties. Early nineties wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Early nineties, but yeah, I it's like, but yeah, Dink the the dwarf he was like he was a little like a like a like a little person that they had come up with doink in the ring at one point that was also another evil clown and then they had they had other evil clowns and the at one point the wwf had like a whole bunch of evil clowns that's crazy did they all come on in like a tiny car (laughs) (laughs) you you laugh (laughs) but and and actually what's funny and then and then if you really want to and real weird thing to look at on the if on the independent wrestling scene, like there's about like twenty thirty doinks <laughs> that aren't that aren't licensed doinks. They're just doinks. That <laughs> unlicensed <other>. doinks. <laughs> unlicensed doinks. I, I can. I. That's not a phrase that I envisioned uh, going into, <laughs> going into my ears tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no there's no better context for it. <laughs> I, I cannot make this shit. I, I actually was funny. I. I, oh someone, God. someone made like a, someone made like um. There's, I follow a show called Botchamania, and the guy Matthew made made like he. I'm not sure if he made it or like someone made it and sent it to him, and of like Doinkamania, and there was like thirty doinks like on this like <laughs> Photoshop flyer. Crazy. Like, is this like a battle royale of doinks? Like, <laughs> there's thirty doinks. So yeah, so you, you guys, it's like one of the things where you're like evil clown gimmick it should not work but by god people still try to use that damn doink like and if if any of you guys out there are curious in the history of this character 
it, even if you're not a wrestling fan, you actually might find it interesting. Um, there's a podcast I listened to called Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, and he actually talks about the history of Doink and how Doink came that, I'd out. actually would listen to that. Like, I'm not into wrestling, but I'd listen to that. That sounds fascinating. It's like, it's like, absolutely, I think it's like, absolutely. It's like two, it's like only, it's like two and a half hours. It's like one of the shorter ones of his podcast. Yeah. Because usually they run like four. Wow. So, but it's like two and a half hours. So, yeah, it's actually worth listening to if you're curious about the history of Doink and how he became from evil clown to. <laughs> There's like four thousand different doinks out there, so don't. But my if you so yeah, it's definitely interesting how clownophobia does play something in horror, and and then you're talking about sharks, and then like how Sci-Fi Channel has Sharknado, that is their B movie, like yeah, like yeah. I mean that plays into like B B movie kind of horror tropes, doesn't it? And yeah, and I'm I'm doing and I'm doing my um non-visual like we're not visual, but air quotations sharkno scary <laughs> yeah quotes, yeah scary <laughs> but but it's but it's like i don't know shark like the one the classic shark movie that freaks people out is usually like the original jaws yeah like that's the one that gets people and because like it's funny there's people who like if you go like i swear to you like if you if you play the dun mm. you'll have someone jump out of their skin yeah yeah well, I, I mean, I've got like here. I. The only thing I would say I come close to a phobia is is similar to what you say, Nikki. Like the the fear of open water, and to me, it's like the fear of the deep, like the fear of kind of of, of what's on what's what's beneath the water. Um, right. And I think that kind of like that when Lovecraft plays into that kind of um, aesthetic with uh, with like Cthulhu and things like that, that does genuinely freak me out, and like on a kind of an instinctual level. And I think that's where that's what worries me that's what not worries me but that's what kind of um like legitimizes it for me is this idea that is it is more of an instinct of mine to be kind of terrified of of that like that aspect of the world like that we don't know what's under the under the oceans um yeah yeah absolutely but um excuse me and there's actually another thing that fascinates like another thing that freaks me out with horror is like the classic scene of Psycho, the shower yeah, scene. Yeah, and that plays into what you what yeah. you were saying, like this idea of of like good horror, like things like clowns and not so much sharks, because like sharks, I think you know are, are, are meant to be scary. Like, I think you, I think you, you know, you're valid to be, you're right to be scared of sharks. It's like, you know. yeah, yeah. But again, I think for me, it's it's you know, sharks are are cool. I'm not like if sharks I saw cool. a shark, it's not something that would scare me. But it's the not knowing what's there and that being a possibility yeah, yeah. i think and that's that's what's creepy but uh but no, yeah, anyway, yeah sorry i think like uh, but, yeah on. just this like as you say like was about um about clowns and about like well you but know the psycho the, scene in the shower you know the psycho scene for good reason there's there's actually a movie that was just released recently that actually dives into the like the analysis of the psycho scene of the psycho shower scene okay and how it works why it works and and getting like and getting like different bits of commentary from people who either were like like they actually talked to the the body double of oh who was the lady in the show uh, janet lee janet lee thank you janet lee the body double for janet lee who talks about how her history on the film mm-hmm. and then and then um and it talks to like all these different filmmakers and commentators who talk about like their history of the movie and so forth and then they talk about how the scene works and it's sort of like the analysis of one of the most legendary like bits of like like horror like scary horror freaky scenes and analyzing it 
to like the nifty detail of why this works so well as well as it does yeah and it's kind of fa- and like i saw like a little bit of it on cbs sunday morning recently and i thought that's actually kind of fascinating that someone would go to that level of detail because like hitchcock sketchy history of a human being aside is <laughs> is a fast is an amazing director at what he did with like some and psycho is one of those movies that you go dang freaking me but yeah. have you guys ever seen the birds too yes yeah nikki have you seen it no i i've uh strayed a bit from uh some of the very very old mm. stuff the like birds that. is worth watching but this funny part is you'll start looking at it as less of a horror movie and more as first you'll think it's a horror movie and it's like kind of creepy and then eventually you start laughing your ass off <laughs> i think we because talked about this with bird. ian didn't we on the show yeah because the birds the bird, it kind of becomes a fair yeah ian at the end it's like i i really like the birds but it's also a movie that's very that's very has a very it's, it has horror elements but it's also very darkly comical because the birds are just straight up going like screw you humans we're gonna we're gonna bite <laughs> yeah. your we're gonna bite well it's that thing off. isn't it like it, it does and, like you know what was I was what i was gonna say earlier is this idea of taking something that shouldn't be scary and making it scary is almost um you know like a horror staple isn't it really and it's almost like plays into it like like clowns you know a lot of people would argue that clowns are terrifying but they're not they weren't designed to be they weren't they weren't originally meant to be they're meant to be this kind of whimsical fun you know character that you know is designed for kids you know and so i think that's what that's what plays into the horror aspect of it and that's like certainly what junji ito did in uzumaki and, and potentially his other things as well where he takes this kind of silly concept that isn't that isn't horror at all and turns it you know twists it and makes it into a horror um and you know nice nice one on the pun dude yeah i know yeah <laughs> twists it and turns it yeah nice. um and yeah so and what were you saying about the birds as well is this idea of like you know taking the everyday and like that doctor who episode um blink with the statues blink. you know like it's free yeah and that, and that, that again that takes something from your everyday life you know that is is something that you don't find scary and making it scary um, and I think that's um, that's quite a good um, a good aspect like, of it. And seriously, the Weeping Angels one of the few concepts of like of true horror in Doctor Who. Mm. Like yeah, like, yeah, straight up full blown. Because the and that's the reason why they work so well is for one they didn't overuse the Weeping Angels. No, they kept them like the people like they worked them very like they used them but not overused them and that's what makes them so scary because when you see the weeping angels it's like the daleks you get that more like exterminate exterminate <laughs> yeah they are like kind of and then it's like fundamentally so quite silly of, okay, it's, it's the daleks they're kind of silly they can be scary but they're but they're not like horror levels like the weeping angels no you're like oh f- f- shit gonna go down. <laughs> yeah weeping angels are here shit's gonna go down and but well there's actually a very there there's actually a really funny i was actually thinking about this when you're talking about the birds there's a very funny stand-up sketch um it that i found that um i actually found it because i was looking up something else entirely one day of there's this um mario cantone he actually hosted a kid's show in freaking for, for in freaking like that was like mostly like new york and like some regional areas called steam pie valley and you can and he did like all these weird movie parodies and crap like that and he actually and you can't find this anywhere on youtube because the company that originally produced it wwor got deleted all their old uh footage mm-hmm. of the steam pipe alley show 
they deleted the tapes years ago. But he actually mentioned in a stand-up sketch he had the kids do a scene from The Birds. Right. And and you're just like, he's going... And it is the... And it's like, oh my lord. And I'm like, I wish I could find... I And then and I remember the first time I saw it, I was going, man, I wish that actual scene did exist because that would have been amazing to see because, like... Because you're just like, it's like the, it's like, but the stand-up's actually pretty funny. That he's just explaining how he took, he had the kids doing the scene of the yeah. birds, and, and you're just like thinking, they were letting this guy do, do this. They were letting Mario Cantone do this, like before he became like stand-up comedian Mario Cantone, doing this, doing this thing with kids of having them reenact the birds. <laughs> the parents were letting the man reenact the birds with their That's children. Funny. Nikki, you mentioned you wanted to talk about um, baby teeth as well. Uh, bringing it back to comics. Yeah, as a kind of a more recent one that I've been keeping up with uh, has been Baby Teeth by Donny Cates, and I am blanking on the artist right now. Um, uh, I can have a look. Who was doing that one? Uh, which, one which one are you talking about? Oh, uh, Gary ah, Brown. Yes, yeah. um, and uh, it's uh, it's not like uh, the thematically it fall probably into the horror category i mean it's it's about kind of like a what if someone gave birth to uh, a baby that is mm. considered to be like the oh, antichrist I read the first um and uh it's it's certainly got a lot of horror elements to it it's pretty spooky uh psychologically it's it's really great as well uh i i talked about this on another podcast just how much it um it really um hits home with family dynamics and kind of how a family would uh, react to this kind of uh, terif- uh, terrible kind of situation that's going on. But uh, super good uh, ongoing horror right now, I think. Uh, definitely worth picking up. And probably, I imagine, the first trade will be out soon because I think it just yes, hit yeah, number five. five. So, yep, uh, the first trade actually, I'm not sure when it hits comic shops, but it's showing on Amazon it hits December 19th, so it probably hits in comic shops about cool like one or two weeks before that yeah yeah so so but yeah it's it's in december it's probably hitting yeah. like this like like december so yeah it's trade paperbacks hitting soon yeah baby and teeth is um, yeah it. baby teeth is a, is a great series like donny cates has had a like had a great year basically um, Oh, absolutely yeah. and uh <laughs> you know it's, it's been fantastic kind of ending the year with like he's going to be working on um on thanos with uh with jeff shaw um, and kind of started the year with Jeff Shaw working on Gold Country as well, so it's it's like absolutely fantastic. But Baby Teeth, yeah, is Doctor Who and Doctor Strange. I mean, um, I I don't know, is he? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he is with books starting in like November, or December, sometime around there. Oh, I think he's cool. That's and awesome. He's doing Thanos and Doctor Strange. Yeah, that um, is freaking awesome. Yeah, it's really cool, and I think like. Um, He's, you know, a lot of his his independent work as well has been has been amazing. Like God Country is one of the, you know, one of the best books of the year to me, and um, mm-hmm. and Baby Teeth. Uh, he does Redneck as well, which um, I've not got into as much, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna pick up the trade of that and, uh, and dive into that. First trade just yeah, the first trade just hit this week. Yeah, I think it's it's just come out, hasn't it? But uh, yep, yeah, came out just came out today. Baby Teeth is uh, is is a lot of fun. Like it's kind of um, it's yeah, you're right. It's it's not. It, it kind of uses horror as a backdrop, doesn't it? It kind of uses this birth of the yeah, Antichrist as a as a as a kind of background to 
uh, to you know to uh, as a jumping off point and then kind of goes but anyway this is actually about this this young girl that's kind of you know got into this situation and she's kind of rising rising to meet the challenge of of kind of being a young mother um under kind of horrific bizarre circumstances and like uh you know having to face things that not uh, no other young mother has to face but at the same time going through a lot of the similar things that um that young mothers go through as well so it's uh, yeah it's, it's a brilliant series and i think donny cates has got a good um got a voice good a good voice in that series um that kind of uh, oh yeah into it's, it's fantastic i need to read i like i'll be i'll be picking up the trade when it hits because i've been wanting to read uh baby teeth for a, like, i read the first issue and then i just i the, the one thing about the curse of aftershock is it's very sketchy to get in the comp to uh you can get digitally at least but mm. If you actually want a paper copy of it, like an, an actual print copy of it, it gets really sketchy to get your hands on on yeah. have some aftershock books and comic shops. Which mm. so it's like I imagine it's, a lot of comic shops would be quite tight, like order quite tight numbers on it just to uh, yeah, just based know. on that they don't know whether it's going to take off or anything. So yeah, I think um I've been lucky that the comic shops that I've been going to seem to order uh, starting to order like you know more he- more heavily in aftershock uh, books so it doesn't seem like there's you know an issue uh in some kind of metropolitan areas at least mm. uh, forgetting that no, that's good like in the like i i pretty much like like in my area it's a little bit a little bit tougher because i i but it's like funny it's like but most of the other stuff i can pretty much get my hands on but like aftershock and a few other companies are a little tougher like i have like i have to poke like every once in a while like um like i i remember I actually did tell a comic shop. I actually, like, I talked about like one book I was wanting to get my hands on, and I was like, "Yeah, it's like it's a," and it's like a, it was like a vault comic book, and it's like that that's gonna be a little tough for us to get our hands on, and it's like, cause so I, cause I, I go, I have like, like in my area, like we're I'm like tied to a metropolitan area like close Cincinnati, but it's like, but it's like still like regional comic shops, so it's like some of the other books like a little tougher to get your hands on. Yeah. A little, a little diverge off topic here, but it just popped in my head when you mentioned like certain companies, and I'm like, yeah, no, it does, it does make sense um, that not. different comic shops would be like that. Um, but, but, but I actually did, I actually did start reading the uh, Redneck book recently. The that the first trade, yeah, that's good. Holy shit! Yeah, I think I read good. the first issue, and I didn't, <laughs> um, I didn't pick up the second, and I think because of that, it's just kind of dropped off my radar. But um, I do definitely want to pick up the trade and get into it because, as I say, like I've loved anything, everything else that Donny Cates has, uh, has like produced this year, especially. So, Donny Cates has been on a freaking roll lately. I mean, <laughs> it's one thing where you think about it's like Donny Cates kind of, kind of stealthed into things, like sort of like a little bit of steam, a little bit of steam, and suddenly. Donny Cates is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like out of the clear blue sky, <laughs> and suddenly it's like Donny Cates' name everywhere. Yeah, yeah, really good. I mean, we've we've gone this far. Like, uh, I think we're uh, we're close to wrapping up here, but uh, uh, we've gone this far without even talking about Hellboy, which is you know one of uh, you know, yeah, I was just yeah, or like that. Mike Mignola especially, like just generally, really, a lot of his kind of output is is very kind of gothic horror, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was looking over at my shelf to see like. You know what else uh, if anything just to kind of mention briefly and, and i was like well hellboy like you know i got like the the bprd stuff on there and um yeah the, the uh like library editions of early hellboy stuff and um yeah that's a 
definitely in that camp and it's it's mm. so good between the the art styles that are are in that both from uh you know mike mignola himself and and uh, the other artists that he gets on there like richard corbin and uh i mean that's yeah. like a it, it's 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 some good some good horror reading for sure <laughs> yeah yeah the weird tale stuff is really cool too like i actually read some of the hellboy weird tale stuff that uh people have done and that stuff is really neat and it's like so it's sort of like between Hellboy, like Mignola Hellboy and the stuff that's offshoot from Hellboy, it's all really solid kinda either horror, horror twinged, or inspired in that wave of like that that atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's that's definitely the way for it. Like atmospheric is is kind of Mignola's whole jam really, isn't it? Like all of his kind of his writing and his especially his art style. Like he does, uh, you know, he's done he's done some other works like uh, the Doom that came to Gotham, um, you know, the the Batman Elseworlds tale, and he even did the the comic book adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, like uh, no, um, the the movie adaptation of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He did like a two two part adaptation for Topps Comics, um, when. Uh, Back. Yeah, it was like it's weird because it's like Mike Mignola's Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's like comics <laughs> for any of you guys out there, yeah, Topps Comics, it it existed. Yeah, it it actually had books came out for it. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, that was actually quite good. That was a good ad- adaptation as well. Yeah, it actually sounds like pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and especially when you got Mike Mignola involved in it, where you're like, really? Yeah, but again, like cool. I think people with Hellboy like the, it, it it looks and the and the feel of it and the vibe of it and the you know the kind of the tropes that it's playing on is 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 steeped in kind of horror um but again i think hellboy as a character is is not a is not a not a stereotypical horror character is he he's very much kind of a an outsider looking in on these worlds um even though you know obviously the 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 good the the brilliant kind of conceit of him is the fact that he is himself like one of the most demonic characters in any of the comics and yet he's right. he's the straight man he's the guy that we turn to to kind of have the 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 average man's opinion on what the hell's going on around him like uh, mm-hmm. um it so it is brilliant like in that sense so you don't ever feel as though you're reading like a terrifying horror comic yet you you know you're more like you're witnessing this character he's as he's walking through these you know these horror horror stories himself kind of thing um yeah i, I do love how i do need to read more i've not read i've not read much bprd stuff at all not read i haven't yeah i've read like a couple of volumes of hellboy but yeah same I, i've seen i've seen the movies like yeah the the hellboy but i never actually read a lot of the it's like one thing you're like i've read i've seen the movies but i never really watched a lot of like and they got a new hellboy movie coming out yeah with david harbour yeah coming out coming out soon mm. and they're working on it right now and they're getting and they're getting everything together for that and and i'm like man and like it's only interesting because and they're really and i know they're going to start doing and they're going to start they're going to start doing collections of hellboy and they're going to put him like chronological order on the bus sort of collections yes i heard about that yeah coming out next year bless like, you bless you dark horse you're actually gonna help this <laughs> make sense yeah i mean i do find it's it's frustrating really because i find hellboy as a as a universe or like the mignola verse quite daunting to get into um but i think as well whenever i do pick up a hellboy story it's it, uh, more than any more than many other series at all you don't need any prior knowledge really like you can just pick up a volume um like i wanted to read uh, into the silent sea 
which was uh, recently collected because of the artwork in that looks absolutely amazing um, and I kind of thought, oh, dare I dive into like this story that I don't even know where it fits into the chronology? Um, but I started reading it, and it, it is all you need to know is who Hellboy is as a character, and and again, as you say, Wes, you can pick that up from the movies. So you just kind of you you can dive into the comics wherever you want. Um, but yeah, the yeah, fact that yeah. um, the fact that these chronological ones are coming out is really good. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think I was freaked out by it and uh there's a really great guide actually that multiversity put together that's kind of like a reading order of you should read this library edition and then this uh you know this collected edition of bprd or something like that Mm. and um you know you can follow that but what i've also heard from uh many people uh talking about this is really just kind of just jump into what you have and you know what you can get your hands on because i I think it enhances the story because there is some connections between stuff but uh it's also just fun so like don't let it daunt you like just you know just jump in and and enjoy it maybe some of those like uh kind of one shot um uh, little hard covers that have come out like into the silent sea and um oh there's another one that was about like a haunted house and i can't remember what it's called right now but that was uh house of the house of the, the dead or something like that um yeah something like that and uh that was that was great and uh like midnight circus just different things like that that i think you can jump into to just kind of test the waters a bit and uh it's, it's just it's just so good yeah, so definitely. worthwhile and i mean that's um I, I mean i think that's uh good advice for 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 any of these halloween comics really or any of these horror comics i think you know if you if you enjoy if you enjoy horror if you enjoy kind of horror movies and stuff you know there are comics out there for you uh there's comics for for anything really or any genre um, but especially, you know, I think there are there are comics that that scratch the horror itch um, in many ways, really. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, this uh, guys, this was this was fun. This was uh, it, it, the the party got crazy for a little while there. Um, we, you know, the, uh, the I was constantly getting up to answer the door. Um, but um, <laughs> I feel bad for all the garbage you got to pick up and. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna have to clean up after this mess as well. I'll be here for a while. <laughs> corn on the ground <laughs> <laughs> yeah streamers all through the air someone's like toilet paper the house it's just oh, a lot of things. yeah absolutely <laughs> it always happens every year but um <laughs> but yeah nikki thank you uh, thank you very much for joining us um as always with uh, with shows like this if people want to find you on the internet uh, or find out what you're what you're working on at the moment where can they where can they find you uh, I do most of my ramblings on uh, Twitter, and I'm uh, at 5xx5, um, and uh, yeah, that's where I, I, I mostly live, and I, I do some occasional review work for Comicosity, and uh, got some books that I letter, uh, some comic books out there that I letter as well, but uh, most of that can be found on my Twitter. Awesome. And uh, Wes, what about you? You can find me on my at GeekuLanded on Twitter, and you can also find me on my website at, de- at GeekuLanded.com, where I also post, where I'll start, be, I'll post this episode up once Matt puts, puts it up on his site down the line here, as I like yeah. to get, as I'm getting back into things a little bit here, and and pretty much, and pretty much like so, and I, and I like to do like ridiculously detailed show notes, you so do. this will be much better much better than my show notes anyway uh you're fine man. <laughs> well uh, as for me you can find me i'm at uh, matt loon on uh, on twitter m-a-t-t-l-u-n-e um you can find me there i do uh, i do writing for multiversity as well as i say i've just uh, put up the uh, the new uh, article about lock and key uh, which is uh, thematically relevant for this uh, this episode 
Um, you can find the uh, the show is on Twitter at that's the issue, um, and um, you can uh, find uh, the show notes, my brief show notes on uh, on my blog, uh, which is awesomesourcecomics.com. Uh, that's S O U R C E. Um, awesomesourcecomics.com um, you can find the show uh, wherever good podcasts are found uh, I'm not going to reel them all off like I normally do um, but um, but this was great, thank you thank you both for joining us, thank you to uh, to Paul Lai um, who uh, who joined us um, sent, sent us through a message you can find his work at 2ply on Twitter uh, or at multiversitycomics.com and the Comic Syllabus podcast uh, and Dennis Camp as well. Um, we had him on the show uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, he's uh, his new series, Maxwell's Demons. Uh, he's the writer of. Um, is coming out uh, from Vault Comics at the moment. Uh, I think the first issue's just dropped. Um, so uh, so definitely look out for that. Um, and he does he does contribute to um, to panel by panel as well, which is the um, the fantastic comics uh, comics critique uh, series that's on Gumroad. Um, but yeah, thank you both. Uh, this has been uh, a very happy Halloween uh, to both of you. Um, hope you have a fantastic time. And, um, and to all you listeners at home, uh, have a good one. Have a spooky time. And uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>